Give our attention now to the preaching of that gospel. So turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 13. The gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Chapter 13, we'll be looking at verses 31 through 35. We have two, two sets of uh, pew Bibles, so you're going to find that on page 691. And if it's not on 691, look at 794. And hopefully one of those two, you will find Matthew chapter 13. We've been doing a short study, short uh, series on Matthew's gospel parables, and we started with uh, chapter 13 now, and we've moved through uh, a couple of those parables, the scattering or the sowing of the seed, with the question then of what type of soil are we? Are we the soil that has been prepared from the foundation of the world to receive the good seed? And then we looked at the next parable and the watering of that seed that produces fruit in the midst of this good and evil living side by side. We are commanded to live out those, uh, the good fruit, the fruit of the gospel that has been watered within our hearts. We come now today, friends, to the two short parables that are actually in between the parable that we looked at last week. The parable of the wheat and the weeds with the actual giving of the parable and then the explanation of the parable... Jesus gives two more. It is a simple understanding of this particular, these two particular parables. A very simple understanding, and then yet a not so simple understanding that we must see today, embrace, and live together uh, in this kingdom of the Lord Jesus. So let's give our full attention then to these two short parables. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 31. Hear now the very word of God. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which the man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked through all of the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Friends, this is the, the, the word of the Lord. What do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands. Our Father in heaven, we give our full attention now to the reading and the preaching of your word. For it is this word that you have planted in our hearts and that you water now to bring forth your fruit, good fruit. So open our eyes to behold wonderful things from this portion of your holy law. And then by the power of your spirit who boils up within us like streams of living water, empower us to live it out today and every day as we long for and look forward to your coming. This we ask for Jesus' sake and all God's people said, Amen. Please, friends, be seated. There is a delicacy that came out of Japan that's known as the fugu fish, or sometimes referred to as the puffer fish. It's a delicacy in that people love the actual taste of this particular fish, but this fish is also poisonous. It carries a toxic poison in its body such that one milligram congested by a 200-pound grown male will kill him instantly. And yet, with that in mind, 
Some 10,000 tons of this fish are imported and exported every single year for the consumption of people all around the globe, paying upwards of $1 to $200 per portion. There is a saying in Japan, I want the fugu, but I don't want to die. I think that's exactly what we find in this particular parable right here. That this, this seed that has been planted in our hearts, that's watered by the word of God, that brings forth fruit. That is the wheat that we looked at last week. But in addition to that, we have the weeds that are growing side by side. We have the wheat and the weeds together. We have good and evil together. But I think many times, my friends, what we want to do is we want to focus only on one side of that equation. We don't want to focus on the other side. We want to focus on the good, and and rightly so. We want to focus on what it is that God has done for us and, and is doing for us. But I think our focusing on that many times is to the exclusion of what it is that Jesus tells us to be on guard about. He tells us to watch our lives, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We want to focus on the good because we want to focus on ourselves. We want to think that we're looking the part, we're looking good on the outside, we're growing, we're doing everything right, I didn't do this and I am doing that, to the exclusion many times of even thinking that there is one who lurks around and whose desire is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. These simple parables that Jesus gives us here gives us the good news, but also is a command for us to be on guard against that which seeks to devour us. We've got to give our attention to these things because this is the work of the evil one. This is the desire of the evil one to rob us of the very thing that he has given us. This is exactly what Jesus says then. Look at the very last phrase in our text this morning. I will utter things hidden, using these parables, I will utter things hidden simply meaning this, that Jesus came for the purpose of revealing to us what it is that he has planted in our hearts and is now bringing forth fruit from. The gospel. He is uttering things to reveal to us the beauty of what it is that he has done in our hearts and in our lives, and also uttering those things to reveal to us that there is one who lurks around, whose desire is to rob us of that. I said, I don't want to I don't want to be the naysayer, I don't want to be the party pooper. That's not my goal. I want you to understand the fullness of the gospel that you have been given, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to embrace that. I want you to love that. I want you to live that. But friends, I also want you to know that this life is not the glorified life yet. We have not yet been uh, glorified completely. Yes, righteous, fully righteous, standing in the righteousness uh, of Christ, clothed uh, in the presence of God Almighty, but not yet fully glorified. And until that day comes, we are fighting a battle. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul said about putting on the full armor and then stand against the evil one. Why? He came to reveal these things to us so that, verse 43, the righteous then will shine like the sun as we wait for his appearing. We will live out the fullness of that gospel, growing in the good gospel and fighting off the the very one who seeks to rob us of that gospel. So two parables, a simple message, a simple message that Jesus gives. 
But look how he starts. The kingdom of heaven is like. Matthew is the only gospel writer, friends, that refers to the kingdom this way, the kingdom of heaven. The other gospel accounts say the kingdom of God. Matthew was a Jew, and the Jews would not even pronounce the name of Yahweh. They pronounced it Adonai instead of Yahweh because they didn't want to break the third commandment and speak against the name of the Lord their God. So he is saying now the kingdom of heaven is like because he doesn't even want to put the word God on his lips. But also, I think, for this very reason, because we know that the foundation of the kingdom is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus has been telling us through these parables. The kingdom of heaven is here. It is in me. And so Matthew, using this term, the kingdom of heaven has come now down to earth such that heaven and earth, Emmanuel, God with us, taking on flesh, has come to earth, now heaven on earth, to give us this kingdom, to plant this seed in our hearts and now in our lives. So Matthew says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted, and it's the smallest of your seeds. Now don't get all bent out of shape on the size of the seed. There's a lot of ink that's been spilt on the size of this seed. And I think a lot of times the ink is being spilt on the size of the seed to show that there's uh, contradiction in the Bible. So you can't trust the Bible because it says, Jesus says, the, the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds, and it's really not. There are seeds that are even smaller. That's not what Jesus is doing. That's not what Matthew is doing in the actual writing of it. Caesar Augustus issued a decree that all the world should be taxed. Did that mean everybody in the whole world was taxed? No, what it meant was everybody in the Roman Empire was taxed. And Jesus is simply saying there are categories of seeds, there are little bitty small ones, and then there are bigger ones, and this seed is in the context of those little bitty small ones. Jesus' point is this. Let's not miss the simple point. The simple point is from something very, very small comes something that's very, very large. From this little old bitty seed, Jesus says, that you're planting in your field, it is going to grow, verse 32, into one of the largest garden plants and become a tree. Jesus is simply saying, listen, there should be an outward expression of your growing in grace. That small seed that was planted by God himself and watered through the word, as we looked at the last couple of weeks, ought now to be growing in your life, that today you're not living like you did yesterday because you're growing in grace. This outward expression of something that's very small that becomes very large ought to define our life. I, I've been to Israel. It, it's true. All over these rocky hills, my friends, it's like the whole side of the landscape is bright yellow because of the mustard plants that grow there. So Jesus is saying, look, look around. Look at all of the yellow that you see. That ought to be your life from something very, very small becomes something that's very, very great outwardly. We ought to see that in one another. But then he, uh, he, he, he leans on a, another parable, turns to another parable, verse 33, the parable about the yeast, the kingdom of heaven, he repeats the same thing. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked through the whole dough. Now what is Jesus doing? 
He's saying with this in mind, this something very, very small that becomes something very, very large, outwardly you see that in the mustard plant. We ought to see it outwardly in our life. But now the inward work. She takes this, this uh, piece of yeast, and, and actually my beloved NIV doesn't, uh, doesn't do justice here in verse 33, unfortunately. Uh, the, the word translated in the NIV, she mixed it into a large amount, is the same form of the word uh, hidden. That Jesus says, I-, I uttered things hidden since the foundation of the world. It's the same form of the Greek word. So Jesus is saying this little, little piece of yeast is hidden in the dough until it permeates the entire dough. And that's exactly what the word planted inside us that is now watered through the, the preaching of the word, the reading of the word, it permeates the inside. It boils up within us like streams of living water such that everything from the inside now dictates everything on the outside. Do you see that simple, simple message that Jesus is giving to us? Something very, very small becomes something very, very large. From that which he plants inside, it comes something large on the outside. I can't contain this gospel in this life, but I've got to live it out in everything that I say and in everything that I do. Now think about what we have said about chapter 13 so far. Jesus goes around as the sower scattering the seed. He has prepared good soil. And that good soil that he himself has prepared, that good seed finds that soil. He now nourishes that, watering that with the word, as we read in the next parable, such that now that which is small ought to be seen outwardly very large in our life. I could take any number of applications for this particular passage. Let me just simply take this one in the context of the saints of Redeemer. In one month from now, we are going to be celebrating our 20th anniversary at Redeemer Church. 20 years of faithful ministry. How, how, I, I'm not a rhetorical question. I'm asking you to raise... How many were at Holiday Inn? Raise your hand if, yeah, okay, there's a few, there's a few. How many were at Reuben Johnson Elementary School? How many know nothing about what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Think about that, friends. In our own history, the Lord Jesus Christ, from the foundation of the world, decreed that he was going to plant a small seed in McKinney, Texas, through the faithful ministry of Bill Lambreth, and he was going to water that through the faithful preaching of the word, and that would become something uh, that would go into the Holiday Inn and, and, and corporately worship together. And thank the good Lord, there came a day when the Holiday Inn was in our rearview mirror, and we were pulling out of that driveway, or that parking lot, and we headed over to Reuben Johnson Elementary School, and the Lord continued to add to our number, growing this particular flock here, until this day that we got to pull out of the Reuben Johnson Elementary School parking lot, and we pulled into this parking lot with phase one, the little bitty small uh, sanctuary that we had, and a few classrooms. And then we moved from phase one into phase two, And here we are today, 20 years later, and we see something very large from something that was so small to begin with, such that we have now even planted a daughter, Grace and Peace, up in Anna, Texas, that is now doing this very same thing, that we have endured and lived these low 20 years ago. 
It is the faithful ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ through the gospel that he gives, planting that small seed, and it becomes something so large that the birds are resting in the branches. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? We've been a part of that. The Lord has given us this great privilege of being part of that story, the story of his faithfulness to his gospel and calling his elect to himself. Now we could stop there and we could go and be well fed on this Sunday afternoon and we could enjoy a rest from our labor and we can take great delight in the gospel and what God has done. But there is a secondary message here. That simple message from something small comes something large. But there is There is a secondary message here, my friends, that the Lord utters to us to reveal to us as well through these same two parables. Look at it. Look what Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in its field. It's the smallest. It grows and it becomes what? A tree. No, it does not become a tree. A mustard plant is a shrub. It's not a tree. It is a shrub, and all around the hills in Israel, there are shrubs that are smaller than this pulpit behind which I stand. Not any higher than the the lesser horns here, as Dr. Chappell used, the lesser and the greater horns that we would hold on to, or forbidden to hold on to when we were preaching. But it's a small shrub. It's not a tree. But yet Jesus says it grows to the largest plants and it becomes a tree. And so the hearers, those that were standing there that particular day, when Jesus said these words, probably went, What? That's abnormal. It's not a tree. It's a shrub. Why would he say that? It sparks their attention. Their ears perk up. Because Jesus is about to tell them something that he needs them to hear and understand. This small seed that's planted in you grows large, but there is one who seeks to devour that, who seeks to steal that, to rob you of that. The second parable then, look what he says. Kingdom of heaven is like, or not the, the, second, the second part of the first parable. Not, not only is he, is he talking about the, uh, a tree, that the, the, the plant becomes a tree, but then that the birds are going to rest in their perch in the branches. If we don't understand the secondary, um, the secondary focus on the evil side, then, then the birds are unexplainable. They're just part of a parable, part of the story that has no explanation. But if we understand that Jesus is telling us that simple message, from something small comes something large, and yet then he's turning to give us a secondary message, there is the evil, the poison that seeks to rob us of that, then all we have to do is go back to the very beginning of chapter 13, where the sower scattering the seed in verse 4 is later described for us in verse 19 as the birds that come along and they Pick up those seeds that fall on the hard places, on the hard ground, the path. You remember that? And so here he gives this attention to the birds. I've just told you about the birds. The birds, they come and they steal that seed. That's their goal, to rob the ground of that seed by stealing it. They would have heard that, but I think they would have also known two other uses of birds in the trees from their history. 
The first one comes to us from Ezekiel chapter 13. Or I'm sorry, Ezekiel chapter 31. Ezekiel 31 there, it says, Assyria was like the tree of Lebanon. But then the prophet goes on to say, that while the tree of Lebanon stood and the birds perched into their branches, along came one who cut that tree down. The tree fell down and the birds then fled because the tree was knocked over. In Daniel chapter 4, we see the second use where Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, has this dream, and nobody can explain the dream. I saw this big tree, and in the tree there were birds filling all of the branches. What does it mean? And he calls for the prophet Daniel to come and explain. And Daniel says, you, Nebuchadnezzar, are that tree, and you are going to be chopped down because there is only one sovereign God, the Lord God Almighty. It's not you, it's him, and that tree, you, will be knocked down, cut down, and the the birds will vanish, they'll fly away. That's what Jesus is saying. This tree and these birds, he's saying, be on guard. Be on guard, little children, for that which I planted in you small becomes something large so that you can stand against that which seeks to devour you, to rob you, to cause you just to fly away and flee from the very thing that I have done for you. We cannot be fooled, my friends, by our simple outward look. This gospel that is planted in our hearts and minds has got to change everything about us. It has to change the way we live together as husbands and wives. It has to change the way we live in families with children and their parents, with one another, with how we vote, with how we care for our neighbor next door and on next door and across the street. Everything has got to be permeated by the work of this gospel in our hearts and in our minds, changing us completely to be on guard against the evil one who seeks to steal it. And so then we move to the second parable then. There's still a second message that Jesus is uttering these hidden things for us, this destruction that comes by the the evil one, and that is this yeast that's hidden into this large amount of flour. Four things, four things I think, Jesus is telling us here, or that we can glean that he is focusing on a negative aspect. In addition to that simple understanding of the gospel, small, planted, grows, now be on your guard, be on, the gar- on your guard against the evil one. First is the, the term yeast that's used in, in, Bible, in the Bible. Throughout all of the Bible, yeast is used two ways. Yeast, the word yeast is used to describe yeast. Fancy that. If I want to use the word yeast, I use the word yeast. Okay, there you go. It's just talking about the actual thing, the noun, yeast. The second way it's used is always in the form of the negative. It is never one time in the Bible used in the positive as something that is good, but it is always something that is bad throughout the entire Bible. Remember what the Apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says it's bad. In Galatians chapter 5, he says the same thing. Get rid of it because a little bit changes all of it. A little bit of it will change the entire thing. And so just the very use of the word throughout Scripture, we ought to give our attention that Jesus is talking about something that is bad. Old Testament, number two, Old Testament law forbid a Jew to offer any sacrifice that had yeast in it. 
It had to be free of yeast to be offered as a sacrifice unto Yahweh. The third way, the third thing that we understand, that all of the feast days that we read about in the Old Testament, in preparation for the day that was coming, they were told to go through their house and get rid of anything that had yeast in it. The celebration couldn't begin until they had gone through their house to get rid of all of the yeast. And then lastly, number four, the placement in this particular, of these two parables, in the context of the book ends of the, the parable of the wheat and the weeds and the explanation of the wheat and the weeds tells us that Jesus is making the same point. There's good and evil that lives side by side. We can't simply focus always on the good. On the good is what we ought to be living. The good is we're growing in grace to fight against that which seeks to steal that good from us. It is a call, friends. Listen. The secondary, more concealed meaning of these parables is this. You better be on guard. You better be on guard and check yourself. You better pray Psalm 139, search me and try me, O God, and reveal if there is anything unclean, impure within me, that I might turn from my sin, that I might hate my sin and fight against my sin. I think today, friends, I think today the church at large is more about softening everything to be more inclusive for the numbers so that more will come than they are at standing firm on the truth of God's word. We don't want to hear you talk about sin anymore. Well, you better want to hear me talk about sin Because that's what we have to fight against. We want our ears tickled. We want the kind of music that we want. We want things to be the way we want. We want a Pollyanna gospel. Just give me the good things. Don't give me the bad things. That's what we hear from the church. Discover the champion in you. The champion that's in you, beloved, is the the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the champion that's in you. And he becomes the champion as you hate your sin and you fight against that sin. You mortify it. That's what we are called to do. That's what Jesus says. I have come to utter these hidden things, to reveal to you. Don't be satisfied. Don't be satisfied with the status quo, with just looking apart on the outside. But fight against your sin. What is it that that evil one is using to rob you? Is it that 2D image that's on that computer screen, gentlemen? Is it the figure that's in your checkbook? Is it the car that you have parked in your driveway? All of those small things that will rob us of this gospel, that will rob us of the very thing that Jesus has given to us. If we discount the good and we allow ourselves to be consumed by the bad, and all the while thinking that we're, we look the part, we're living the part, and we're not fighting against the very thing that seeks to destroy us. It's a simple gospel message. He plants a seed, he waters a seed, and it brings forth abundant fruit. And that abundant fruit lived out today fights against that which seeks to rob that fruit, the future production of that fruit.
It is the secondary concealed message of this simple gospel that Jesus gives to us in his word. I've had an electrical problem at my two-year-old house this past week. A GFI, GFCI, a ground fault circuit interrupter outlet. You know, those are the ones that have the two little buttons in them that are next to your sinks and your bathrooms and in your kitchen and so forth. I had a ground fault circuit interrupter outlet in my garage that popped and I couldn't get it to reset. I had no power, which means I had no garage door opener. And ain't nobody got time to get out and lift the garage door. <laughs> Push the button. I want the door to go up. I had no power in my garage. So I took off this GFI, and I went up to Home Depot, and I got a new GFI, and I put it in, and I went over, and I turned the breaker back on, and I reset, and as soon as it popped, it just popped immediately. I thought, they, they sold me a faulty GFI up there at Home Depot. So I turned the breaker back off. I take it off all, all for an entire day. I finally concluded that the line side of the outlet would work. The line that comes from the, the breaker box to the outlet, if I hooked up just that, the top portion, I had power to the one outlet. It worked just fine. But if I hooked the load side up, which fed all of the rest of the, the outlets in my garage, including the one in my ceiling for my garage door opener, it would pop. So I knew that somewhere from this outlet, somewhere around or up there, there was a short somewhere that kept popping my GFI. And until I found it, I had no garage door opener. So I thought, I'm going to start with that one. So I turn off the breaker, and I get all my stuff ready. And I ascend my ladder, and I take off that little bitty plate, and I think to myself, Bryant, did you turn that breaker off? I think, ah, I don't remember. So I'd shimmy down the ladder, and I walk over to my box, and I look, well, I get my glasses off. Yep, I did. And then I go back, because I wanted to be doggone sure that I wasn't going to stick a screwdriver on the hot side of that outlet and fry myself right there in my... And nobody could even get me out, because the garage door wouldn't go up. (laughs) Here's my point. Here's my point. I have a, a healthy humble love for electricity. I want to push my button and the door go up. I want to turn the light on and, and it comes on. You got a light that won't light or a switch that won't switch. I want it to switch and light. But I'm not going to touch that stuff that I know will zap the snot out of me. It, can, it will mess you up. Yeah. So there's something very good about le- Electricity. But there is something very evil about it too. It will mess you up. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here for us. There's something good and it's called the gospel. And it is that seed that I have prepared you to receive. And now I have watered it through the faithful preaching and reading of the word to bring about something very large in your life such that now you can stand against the very one who seeks to zap you from it. Be on your guard, beloved. Be on your guard and work out your salvation with fear and trembling today and every day for the glory of our Heavenly Father. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this sweet gospel that you give to us. Thank you that we get, uh, come into a place where we can give our full attention to it, that you allow us freely to gather corporately. You allow us to to worship you. You allow us to put ourselves uh, under the preaching of your word. 
Father, I pray that you would give us a, a deep love for this Bible, this word that you give to us, and we would not simply be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it as well. Would you keep the evil one far from us? Cause us to fight against our own sin, the work of that evil one within us where we love things more than our Savior. Help us to fight against it that we might grow in grace today and every day until that day when you come and receive us to yourself. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, quickly come. In your name we pray. Amen.